Hi everyone, welcome to Turn the Fat with Mike and Jake. Hello. We were just saying that, um, you know, uh, what about, what are the goals of, of doing, of, of bringing on Jake and, and Mira was to enhance the quality of diversify maybe? It's probably done the opposite effect actually. We just seem to be like sitting around talking shit more and more often. So we, we kind of, we were watching the rugby just really quickly because we actually have a show, by the way, sorry. We actually have a show. Um, Rach is coming on to talk about her interesting job, but she's, I think she's in the shower. So Jake's yeah. holding stead until she arrives. Um, but, you know, stand, stand by for that, that little bad boy. But um, on Saturday, Sunday morning? So maybe Monday. What happened? We like, had a few drinks and um, not a few. Uh, <laughs> it was like five o'clock in the morning. Oh, it was pretty hammered. But anyway, yeah. we've we've come to start doing like more of these impromptu recording things. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um so on on uh Saturday or Sunday or sometime in the morning, some night. During the rugby. Yeah, during the rugby. It was it was pretty exciting and um apparently other people who are perhaps not born in New Zealand were a bit non more nonchalant about the rugby and they thought there was an earthquake, which was I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, flat mate. <laughs> Let me catch you. She's Brazilian, and like what five in the morning, or whatever. Like we were like jumping up and down, yelling, and just being general. I don't know, retards, I guess. Um, and then the next morning, she comes out and like, "Oh, I thought there was like." <laughs> I don't know what she said. The ground was shaking. The ground was shaking and all sorts of weird stuff. Anyway, Jake, how's your, how's your week been? Yeah, it's it's been good. It's been good. It's uh. Starting to get warmer in Auckland, which is nice. And uh, New Zealand's in the Rugby World Cup final, so that's, that's better than the alternative. Alright, okay. Hi guys. Goodbye, Jake. Alright, let's see. Bye bye. Um, so we're actually, we're actually broadcasting. I didn't know what was going on. So we're just like, we had, we had Jake to come in and speak for two minutes um, in your stead. So, Rachel, you want to tell us a little bit about. Um, what you do and why we're why I'm interviewing you tonight, and it's, sure. that's kind of vague because I didn't really tell you why. <laughs> but what's the go? So a couple of months ago, I started at a one of New Zealand's leading digital agencies, advertising agencies. Um, so basically, that means that without cutting out traditional advertising, digital is still at the core of everything we do. Um, so typically when a client uh, approaches us with a brief, we will send them back what we call a reverse brief that will have a core digital approach to it, um, and we'll try and squeeze it into their budget for them. <clears throat> um, we've got some really good clients that we're working on, and some awesome digital projects. Our agency is broken up into a creative team, a development team, a design team and then a strategy team and then what we call a suiting team. Um, so I'm in the suiting team and as account managers we project manage the projects for the clients and coordinate internal resource between the teams that I just mentioned. So what, is what, what does that mean by suiting though? What is a suiting team? So um, I look after th three to four clients all of different sizes. Um, so my smallest client, I will just produce social media content for them on a month-by-month -month basis. Um, sometimes that includes promos, sometimes that will include e like direct email marketing. My larger clients, we're working on website redevelopments. I recently just, actually just this weekend, I organized, produced, and ran a sponsorship of Armageddon. Um, and my client had a massive stand at that event. So that was an experiential piece of work with a digital core. Did that happen very often? No, not very often. Um, and it was actually the first time that the agency has done anything experiential like that, and it was a hit. So that's really good news. Yeah, because I mean to ask you, how did it go? Yeah, it went really, really well. I mean, I guess when you talk about digital projects and when you begin a project, the way of planning them is to set yourself KPIs or specific targets, um, but that gets a little bit tricky to measure when we're talking about brand awareness. So for instance, 
if you launch a social media campaign, your KPIs will be, we want 300 engagements over 24 hours. Um, so these people need to like your posts, share your posts, comment with them, have some kind of interaction with them. When it comes to brand awareness, it's it gets a little bit harder to crunch the numbers, I guess. Um, so when the client originally sat down with us and talked about the budget and the plan for the Armageddon sponsorship, we decided they're an internet company, so they're an ISP. You can't really measure, you can't really expect people to be signing up for broadband at an entertainment expo like Armageddon. So the target instantly becomes brand awareness. Well, how do you measure that? Um, I guess it's just feedback, the amount of people in the space of the stand, the amount of interactions you have with staff, and the general feedback and feel and vibe you get off the people that come by and visit you. That's more qualitative than quantitative. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, if they're like, well, how do you know it was a hit? Or there were like, I don't know, 600 people that visited us through the little doors to your thing at the Armageddon Expo. I don't like, How does that... So, because this is like this is this is really different from digital the like traditional digital marketing app because yes. that stuff's way more quantitative in terms yes. of being able to measure it. Exactly. So we it's only been a day since the event closed. So to be honest, we yeah, haven't right. had much time to sort of sit down and look at, at at how the engagement went. But we did some rough number crunching throughout the event, and it's sort of at any one time our stand was massive. It was. 18 meters long by 10 meters wide and within that stand we had four different engagement points so we had an interactive activity which you could ride a mechanical surfboard we had a stand of lollies where you could be served in theory unlimited lollies and um, we had playstations where you could verse the, the staff on um on the, a PlayStation game, and then we had Oculus Rifts, which is very similar to PlayStation's new virtual reality technology they've just bought out. Um, so at any one time in the stand, we predicted we had about 120 to 140 people, um, and we mapped out a user journey to ensure that those 120 to 40 people in the stand at any one time were having some kind of interaction with the aim of the game to have nobody left sort of wandering or looking confused at what they were doing. Um, we conservatively, well, my client conservatively crunched some numbers and reckoned that over the course of the weekend, we had over 12,000 interactions. It's a lot of people. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Is that, um, when you guys would do like your breakdown of, of how effective it was? Yeah. I mean, in terms of, you know, you can do like on Facebook um, pages or likes per x amount of money spent yes yeah uh you guys will do a cost per click yeah, yeah 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 you guys will do the same sort of thing in terms of like cost for engagement sure yeah definitely but, but this engagement is way more engaging obviously than like hitting definitely a like button right definitely and because this this isp only has a very small customer base at the moment and nobody really has heard about their brand um, the fact that it's just getting the word out there and people will begin to recognize their brand, they'll recognize their logo, they'll remember that these were the guys that gave them free lollies and let them play the Oculus Rift and, and told them perhaps about their USPs at the event. So there's lots of ongoing bonuses as well. And I guess when you think, when you think um, typically about broadband as a product, completely different to any other client that I deal with, broadband is something that you're locked into a contract in. So it's not like you can convert someone onto your broadband broadband plan mm. straight away. Mm. There's all these factors that you've got to think of. Do you have a landline? Is fiber connected to your property? So it starts to get quite tricky. So yesterday when I spoke to my client about the difference in analytics over their website or traffic or conversions for the weekend, there's been absolutely no change at all. But you cannot typically expect a massive change in the broadband space due to the nature of the product. So that in turn makes this event and this project even harder to measure. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So let's come back to the Armageddon thing. Yeah. Because you were like, oh yeah, I never get it. We <laughs> facts. Stinky guys or something. Crazy, crazy. All the people that you never see out come out. Yeah, I should have gone there. Yeah. Um, but it's pulling back a little bit to to the digital stuff or what you do. What kind of clients? I mean, you don't name names obviously, but like what's a what kind of people or like um, businesses do you engage with? I mean, 
all sorts or are there very particular people who are much more digital savvy or you know older people or older businesses who are looking to get more awareness through the digital medium like absolutely how does, it, how does that work um i mean across the full agency young and shand we deal with a number of products on a huge scale from not-for-profit charity um clients to huge corporations that that own a, a wide range of brands to privately owned New Zealand organizations. Um, and so personally, I look after four clients currently. Um, and I guess one of my, one of my trickier clients that are still finding that move from traditional media to digital media splits their marketing budget between a traditional agency and ourselves. Um, and I recently had him bought him and had a meeting with him and sort of, showed him some analytics on the website, on his website, um, and gave him some suggestions on how he can start moving more into the digital space to be a lot more savvy with conversions and targeting people in the digital space that will be interested in his product. Um, so for instance, he sells insulation and ventilation. And at the moment, he spends a lot of his budget in print and radio. There is absolutely no spikes in the analytics on his website or no spikes in conversion rates or what we call goals on his website. So a goal on his website is someone entering a contact form or someone clicking on the click to call button on the mobile website. Yeah. So when he produces a print ad, those goal conversions don't increase. Right. With digital, what we proposed to him was that rather than just producing a couple of Google banners here and there throughout the year with leftover budget, he turns his calendar into a campaign-based calendar throughout the year based on the weather. Um, and we target specific people around those times of year. Um, so, for instance, we, ran, we proposed we run a campaign around ventilation just before summer hits. And we target people in the DIY or the building industry by putting banners on those sections of Trade Me. Um, just before winter next year we will run a similar campaign but for insulation and we could switch it up and we could target landlords by advertising in the realestate.co.nz space. So for every single client, you sort of have to switch it up digitally as to where they are currently in their marketing spend. It also depends a lot on budget as well. Um, we just had a client today sign off a $140,000 rebuild of part of their website. Um, but they're a massive corporation. So for someone like the insulation man who was a locally owned business and he heads up the business, he's the managing director, he's the owner, yet he still comes down to meetings with me and he heads up the marketing as well. Right. So he has a much smaller budget. He doesn't spend as much money in the digital space and will probably never be able to spend 140k on a website rebuild. So it's all about tailoring your approach through the help of the different teams within the agency to provide what you need for your clients. Well, so it's kind of interesting because the digital space, and because it's much more um, specific in terms of being able to target these people, Yes. that surely means for the guy that, the small owner operator, they now have the ability to target um, potential, I don't know, customers in a much more um, efficient way. Absolutely. Than in the past. Absolutely. And part of it, part of what we suggest and at times, if clients are unsure, or if even we ourselves don't 100% know that this approach is going to work for them, is a bit of a test and learn approach as well. Right. So, hey, we propose this for one or two months, and we'll track it for you as well. Yeah. So, we'll track it at the same time. We'll go through a report at the end of the month, and we'll right. take recommendations from our team. Does um, that happen very often, the, the testing thing? Because I can imagine that. These things are evolving so quickly, right? Yes. So really, really quickly. The idea of... Uh, Google ads or something. Yeah. What do they call that? Uh, fuck. I mean, I don't know. I'm, another buddy of mine works in, in marketing, and he's talking about this stuff, and he's like, "Fuck me!" It's like so. There's so much to this. Yes. But it's only happened, you know, in the last five, ten years, obviously, and you know, but some businesses have been established for a long period of time, and trying to test these things has got to be. Like, is it, is it a reasonable part of what you guys do? Absolutely. And my, my boss said to me just last week, the only thing that you can be certain about in advertising is change. So in the two months that I've been at Young and Shand, there's been a lot of developments that we have had to 
continuously watch and our media planning team sort of takes ownership of that and will provide us updates with what's happening in the wider world. Um, a few things that I can think of since I've been there is HTML5, which is the latest development code. Google banners have come out. They've started penalizing websites and search results if your website is not compatible with a mobile device. Instagram have bought out sponsored ads, which people are absolutely hating, so that's something we've advised our clients that perhaps we hold off and do that a little further down the track until and the platform's improved. Yeah. So it's over a large media space. It covers a lot of social media, a lot of networks as well. Even just the testing of clients between do you want to, do you want to put banners on, say, Yahoo versus Google, that will throw you back completely different results and completely different cost per clicks. So how do you do that? How, do you, how, do you, how does, how does a, a company like, like the one you work for um, go through this? Is it just for experience or yeah. like research? Research. Research. Right. Um, and the way that you buy media, I guess, and the, and the media spend. So it's actually in a lot of my day to day, I spent looking at putting a report together for one of my clients on the creative that we've produced. So the visual banners that we produced versus the media spend that we've put behind each of those banner campaigns. Um, and just to see which ones the most successful have been. Right. So if we have a really strong piece of creative, how it looks and how it reads, um, is that swaying people to click through and convert to the product versus did we have a weaker piece of creative, but did we put more money spend behind it? So it's really about finding that balance. I'm definitely not an expert on media. Um, personally, I'm a lot more creatively led, so I see a lot more merit in that. But people would definitely argue my point. And there are so like there are solely media companies out there that some clients choose to engage rather than having one digital agency do both their creative and their media work. Right, 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 right. So sometimes we collaborate with those media agencies as well. Right. To come back with recommendations for our client on what their next steps should be. But it's extremely fast moving. And um, yeah, so you could test and learn for two months, say, and then completely switch it up for November and December. But depending on the industry that your client's in, it's going to be completely different market behavior in November and December to what it was in September and October. So we need to look, be able to look forward for that as well. So how do you, I mean, just sort of pushing forward, I don't know, say six months, one year, two year, five years in the future, what yep. are the sort of changes that you anticipate or that um, digital agencies are anticipating? Um, so we do a lot of reading about this as well when we, at the beginning of a project during the strategy and planning phases, and the top trends um, off the top of my head that are, that are coming up for 2016 is personalization of content um, to the point where Amazon has started this thing where they're sending out products to you before you've even clicked the buy now button. So they'll track your activity and see, so for instance, say I've been looking at Harry Potter the Harry Potter series online and looking at, you know, say JK Rowling may have bought out a new cover or a special edition of it. If I've been in and around that space um, for a week or so, um, Amazon is sending it to your house based on the account that you're logged into. And that's the way that personalization is going. It's the same as when you log on to Netflix and they recommend what's popular for Rachel. Right, right, right. They'll right, tell right. you, you know, based on the fact that you watch The Simpsons, you should watch Family Guy, American Dad, and Bob's Burgers, for so this, instance. this, you think, so, in terms of the trends that are occurring. Yeah. Have a seat, mate. Do you want? Um, in terms of the, the trends that are occurring, this, the personalization, mm -hmm. is happening more and more and more. Absolutely. And the tracking of your, the tracking of your activity online as well is what people are really getting into that space. So people can see how long you're spending on pages. Um, they can see where you're going after you visit the home page, where you drop off a website. So at what point do you become disinterested? Um, and then coming, what feeds into that is content marketing. So there's a huge trend about to hit in the importance of content that you put on your website and how that is personalized to the person. And I guess those two things work hand in hand. Um, before I got the job at Young and Shand, I went for an interview at an agency in Auckland that specializes in content marketing. Yeah. And when I was speaking to the owner of the agency, he said that they were one of the first. And when I asked him who his competition was, his direct competition was in Auckland, he didn't really have a straight answer for me. And I think that's because it's so new and it's something that's happening a lot more overseas than it is in Auckland, but it's really about to take off because people are seeing the importance in it. Right. 
So just really quickly, because I got another really interesting question, but yeah. um, can you explain to listeners at home exactly what? Because this this term gets thrown a lot now. Content, content marketing. Yeah. yeah. What What is that? So content is anything that you see on the screen. So if you, for instance, if you clicked onto a website that was just a wall of text, you would instantly become disinterested. It's not visual. Um, it's not visual. Um, it doesn't engage you. Whereas if there's a level of personalization added to that, then it is going to engage you more and it's going to, um, it's going to encourage people to stay on your website longer. So there's a whole lot of research around this as well. People suggest, you know, you should only have to navigate three clicks to get to the point in the website where you want to read something or, you know, you should only have say maximum 300 words on a page before people come disinterested. No one wants to read walls of texts. The same goes for, um, it depends, and then again, it depends on your platform. Sorry, I'm switching around a bit here, but um, when it comes to social media and you think about the length of videos that people would want to watch on Facebook, for example, um, they're now saying that nobody wants to watch. Most people drop out of a video, I think, at about 14 seconds, and you typically shouldn't produce a video for Facebook that's longer than 30. That's crazy, yeah. So it's different per platform, and then again, I guess it is, diff it is, um, it is different per industry as well. Right. So for instance, my insulation client, people who genuinely interested in insulation and want to install it in their homes, they will want to know about the product. So they're prepared to read a wall of text that's say 500 words long. Right. If you just jumped onto an ISP, you really don't want to read 500 words about your internet speed and how it can be connected to your house. Right. You want quick answers of what's available to you, how it's available to you, and how do you sign up. Okay, at, at, at which point, I've got some really, I need to come back yeah. at some point, but I'm, let's follow this a little bit. But okay. at what point does the information, in terms of just the guts of the information, mm -hmm. become emotive? Like in terms of the content that you guys create or, or yeah. an, an agency would create, at what point does it turn from like um, very, very informative, say for example, um, you were talking about internet. Um, yeah. You know, uh, fucking numbers, 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 numbers. No, I mean, most people really don't care or know what they're talking about. At exactly. what point does it become emotive and which... Does that make sense? I think so. I think the answer to the question is it depends on the client's goals and their purpose. Right. So, for instance, if a client came to us and said, we want a website, well, sure, we can make you a website, but what's the aim of the website to do? Right. Do you want the client to read about your product? Do you want them to give you a call? Or do you want them to buy now? So in the strategy, again, in the strategy and planning phase, not only do you need measurable KPIs to see how your aim is tracking, you need to know what the aim is because you will tailor everything of the website towards that aim. And, and then using things like um, more emotive, uh, I don't know, messages or whatever could lead you down that path yep. for them to engage with it. Exactly. Point. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, if your aim of a website is to have people contact you straight away, so you think that your selling point is stronger either face-to-face -face or on the phone or via um, live chat or over email, if you think, like, interaction between salesperson and potential customer is stronger that way, mm. then the whole website is geared towards driving people through that sales funnel or right. that communication funnel. Right. If you just purely want an informational website that just reads about, I don't know, health and safety or, you know, something along those lines where you don't they don't necessarily want to be contacted, yeah. then the content completely changes and the purpose of the website completely changes and then say your measurable KPI is that you want the average person to stay on your website for three minutes. Right. So there's a different sort of, okay, so it depends on the goals and, and exactly. what you want. So and, again, and how you achieve those goals. Is depending on, yeah. Again, it comes back to when the client first approaches you and says, this is what I want to do we would sit down with the strategy and planning team and then go back to the client with a response that clearly states the measurable KPIs, the aim of the project, and then what the digital core of that right. project would be. Just to pull back for a little bit. So the, yep. the personalization of the internet and things yep. like, oh, you know, three clicks here and mm -hmm. you went to this thing and your mouse hovered over the, the like, yep. for a lot of people that's quite unsettling. It's very unsettling and it's a really interesting space to start playing in, I think, because um, obviously working in digital media, I notice it a lot. And I notice it to the point where someone's dropped a cookie on me and then retargeted me through Facebook. 
So for instance, I don't know if anyone at home has heard of the website The Iconic. It's a New Zealand fashion website. But approximately, they have few, like serious, serious retargeting. So I'd say maybe six weeks ago, I looked at handbags on The Iconic. And it was a certain style of handbag in a range of different colours. And six weeks later, I'm still being retargeted with sponsored Facebook ads in my news feed and sponsored Facebook ads in the right-hand column of this certain type of bag. Now, that's quite extreme for retargeting. Usually people would, um, usually people would die, like, um, wean off the retargeting after a few weeks. Right. You know, you'd make, you'd make an assumption based on industry statistics that people, if you're not looking to buy a handbag after two weeks, then you're not going to buy it at all. Right. Um, but if if you compare that with the product of insulation, because obviously insulation is a larger project than just spending sixty bucks on a handbag, then you would you could potentially re like extend that retargeting so that that person would see the insulation ads on their Facebook for say two months after they've been on your insulation website. So how do you feel about this? So the, I mean. It's basically reducing a lot of what we do down to like a few consumer, like, I don't know, habits that we might have. Yeah, I mean... And what do you... I mean, do you, the power of companies like digital agencies yeah. to funnel people into certain into particular spending or consumer habits yeah. is insanely powerful. Yeah. Do you, as a practitioner of this industry, yeah. have any, I don't know, qualms about it? No, I mean, I, I guess you just have to like, I guess you just have to accept that's the way that technology is going. You can try and avoid that. And actually one of my lecturers when I was at university, um, he did, he never wanted to be a number of the digital space. He never looked on websites. All his lectures that he gave were on old OHTs. And this was like, say six years ago when nobody else used OHTs. Um, his office was piled high to the ceiling with paper because he actively avoided being counted as a statistic in the digital space, even though he lectured on media communication and how society was moving forward with digital communication and what effect it was having. Right. So he did a lot of research research in the data sharing space, which is a bit of a concern when it comes to government, I feel. Mm. But for your everyday use of the internet, I mean, at the end of the day, it's only to your benefit because you, the, like companies like ours are giving you the content you want to see. Well, do you, I mean, the reverse of that is, of course, that you create the content that we follow anyway. So, for example, if I click on, if I'm like, oh my God, I really want a lantern or something like this, or I want to do, I want to buy a candle, and then all of these new like ads come up, you know, or there's got to be sort of um, an engagement with, with the person, like, like with the customer, me, towards like funneling me towards those things, right? And, and, yes. and that has a certain amount of influence on the way, on my habits on the internet. Yes. And it, it, in a sense, it could form me and, and sort of, you know, who I am. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, your, yeah, I guess it kind of narrows your interests a little bit. Yeah, but there's, I mean, that's, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, that's sort of a concern from a lot of people that I've spoken to about this whole thing. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? I think that's probably the next step. I mean, I think because it is quite fast moving, but also it's quite a new space where now, I mean, it's only very recently that every, almost every site you go to, they're saying, will you allow our cookies? Will you allow our cookies? You didn't see that like 18 months ago yeah it's true yeah um and so more and more people are clicking onto it but as more and more people clicking onto it the the these like concerns are going to come out of that so there'll just be a way around that right. so the next step will be like and i don't know people may disagree with me but the next step would be like testing that yeah so um let's use let's use netflix as an example but i've noticed recently that netflix have got better about it and they've just released some new sections on your homepage of your own Netflix account. But previously they would give you, say, five lines of thumbnails of programs to watch or films to watch. And so if you had been just watching animated sitcoms for the last week, they would probably pl flood your homepage with animated sitcoms and maybe one line of thumbnails that says what's popular now or what's new on Netflix. Right. But now I've noticed that they've lengthened out the homepage and they're giving me 
more suggestions. So they're giving me, based on the fact that I watched Narcos, here's 10 other films about cocaine. Um, based on the fact that I watched, um, I don't know, 10 things I hate about you, here's 15 other suggestions of chip books from the 90s. Right. Um, so they are extending it down and down and down so that they don't narrow your interests. But it would be interesting to compare that to people's behavior like myself, who, if you only gave me six months ago um, animated sitcoms such as The Simpsons, then it's just one click of my mouse. And I just continue to watch animated sitcoms. Right. But now because they're giving me more options that are right there in front of my face, and that's what people like because people are lazy sometimes when it comes to internet browsing. Yeah. According to my Netflix history, my, my interest has broadened a lot over the last few weeks. But that is only simply because Netflix is telling me or suggesting me six different other genres yeah, bar I mean, The Simpsons. How do you feel about that? Because in, in, in a sense, I mean, I don't know. It's For me personally, it's kind of like, well, on the one hand, it's making things easier for me, but on the other yep. hand, it's making things too easy for me. Absolutely. Because you were talking about, um, what was that music uh, streaming website, app thing, what's it called? Amazon. No, 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 like the one that's like Spotify. Or is it Spotify? Oh, uh, yeah, Spotify. And you talk, you talk about like, um, they give you playlists and stuff. Yeah, so Spotify have, so Spotify have jumped on the personalization of music really, really well as well. Um, and recently have bought out a personalized playlist for every user called Discover Weekly. And it pulls, I think it's about 15 tracks into a playlist for you every Monday that's based on your last week's listening. Yeah. Um, as a discovery tool, that's awesome because um, it will take in little bits of everything and it will track what kind of music you like. So it's going to cater to your tastes. Mm. I don't find that kind of personalization a problem. Right. Because it's not advertising as such. It's when it's when you drop it's when companies drop cookies on you based on your product searches. Yeah. I think that's when it can can become a little bit intrusive and that's when you can start pissing consumers off. I mean the rise in people that use ad blockers, I don't know the the details, but is massive. It's huge, right? To the point now where there's a company investigating how to block ad blockers. So do you think I mean Basically, I don't know. Here's here's an idea. I, I don't know. Tell me whether or not you agree with this. I'm not saying with the, that I do, but because humans behave in a certain way, um, and sort of the chicken and the egg scenario, I just like want to know which do you think might come first. Yeah. But um, because humans um, behave in a certain way, the internet or other humans will will change things in order to suit that. Or do you think that? We know how to influence people and we will change their behavior in order to suit ourselves. Does that make sense? I think it, I think it does. And I don't know if this is the right answer, but being in advertising, you have the power to do both. Right. So you have the power to lead people's behavior and you have the power... To adjust to their behavior. Yeah, you have the power to do both and you have the power to steer it. And that's through personalization. Do you think? I guess. Do you think most agencies, well, what, where would they look to? What they, where would they look to go out of those two routes? Typically, you want to be proactive rather than reactive. Right. So it's never a good look to be reactive to something. You should always be thinking proactively. So you should always be investigating new spaces. You should always be thinking of the next step. Whether you think it's possible or not, who knows? That's a that's a leap of faith that you've got to take. But when you take that, you have to have your client's best interest at heart. And on and for that, I mean time, budget, quality, relationship, everything. Rather than the consumers? Or technically, the, the consumer is still best, their best interest being looked after as well, right? This is this or, weird like, sort of duality about like, commercialization. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, you never want to offend, I guess. Mm. I mean, but having the consumer's best interest at heart is having your client's best interest at heart. Because the client would never want to risk their consumer base either. Yeah. And so... Does that answer the question? Yeah, it does. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Because this is everywhere. Um, and it's only like you just scratch the surface every so often. You yeah. Because um, you, you, you just sort of like give a little bit of background to where you came from and how you got into this. You are saying that you studied film at AUT. Yes, I did. And then I... I, work, I worked as a production assistant for a big advertising agency on a really big client. Um, and back then I just realized the environment wasn't quite right for me. And I wanted to work on 
more exciting things for more innovative people, I guess. What does that mean? I mean, I guess that means being proactive. So looking at the trends, suggesting cool things, having exciting conversations about clients and getting the clients on board. Right. Um, and for one of my clients, and I can't tell you the details because we're presenting to them tomorrow, but we've got two awesome ideas that if they buy into them or they'll buy into one of them, hopefully will both be world firsts. Wow. Cool. So we don't know. We know that one of them is semi possible and we know that the other one could be possible but we need to sell it to them in a creative way and a strategic way that's going to get them on board to have the faith in us to put them on the world map. So, and then you start getting into the PR space and how content around their world first campaign looks. And that just starts to blow your mind. So, okay. How would you, from your background in filmmaking, yeah. how would you apply what you're talking about in terms of like innovation and, and digital marketing and blah, 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 blah. How would you apply that to video? Because video is changing now a lot as well. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Um, to be honest, I'm a little rusty on my video stuff because I haven't touched a lot of it in the past few years. So I'm sure but just so, like digital, in, it's evolving as well. In terms of your your engagement with it through, yep. through the digital agency, I mean, what, yep. what do you see the, the trends happening and where, where do you think things are heading? Content. When you think about video, video is always going to be core. It's going to be core in a traditional space for as long as TV lasts in the living room. And it's going to be core in the digital space forevermore. People are always going to love watching video. But then you think about video in different spaces. It's in an advertising space. It's in an entertainment space as in YouTube. Um, it's in an educational space. So YouTube, people use it on their websites to show things. And then it's in a film space as well. So it's... it's um, it's usable. It's not gonna. It's not gonna die. If you know what I mean. But in terms of it's, it's gonna evolve alongside how the advertising industry is how, gonna be in, evolve as well. How would that evolution look for video? In your experience working for um, a digital agency. In the advertising space, I think it will move alongside the personalization of content. I cannot tell you how that looks. Um. But, for instance, when you go on YouTube and the pre-roll ads you see, those will be personalised. Um, when you go on YouTube and they say suggested clips for you and it's based on the fact that yesterday you watched How to Poach an Egg, it's going to give you, you know, 10 clips it does already on how to cook pasta. Um, it's, it will increase in that platform and people are going to start using video and animation as well in more savvy ways. So already a lot of our clients are looking at video and animation and that kind of storytelling to describe products and sell their services. Um, but then again, you have to be careful in the way that people interact with, with videos is also interesting. Um, I mean, personally, I don't really think that the whole Vine thing really took off all that much. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know if it was the platform that it came out on or, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Was the platform not accessible enough? I, I didn't really get too much into it. But it would be interesting to compare that to Instagram, for example, and why Instagram as a user-generated content platform was so much more successful than the Vine platform. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, people... It's, it's like text, I guess. Like, people could... People read and engage with, say, a 100-word text. People will watch a 15-second video. People won't read a 500 word piece of text and they're not going to watch a full video that's three minutes long on something mm. so i think video content is just is going to become a lot more efficient it's going to become smarter and it's going to be again more personalized on the platform for what people want to see oh it's crazy <laughs> yeah it okay. is yeah it's, I mean, it's like a never-ending like you could sit here for hours and hours and talk about the way and i could sit there for hours and hours in front of my clients and tell them the value in this and every day this kind of stuff goes you know round and round in your head and you sit in meetings and you think that in a meeting you could sit there for three hours talking about the possibilities of a client and where they should be headed. But for me, it's, for me personally, it's insanely fascinating mm. because you, the power of, of advertising and of marketing is insane. And because we live in a world where this stuff, we're just saturated in this stuff all the time. And I think you are completely, completely right. Um, and the digital space, much more so, I mean, it's, still, it's evolving like faster than ever, obviously. Um, much more the traditional sort of platforms for marketing as well. 
so these things are changing. So really quickly though, yes, because I'm gonna ask you. By the way, if you have a spare like moment, think of a song that I'm because I'm gonna ask you like request a song. Okay. Just before we end the show, um, but I really want to go back to the Armageddon thing because I don't know. Unless anybody out there, nah, no one's on chat. <laughs> um, but oh yeah, here's a point as well. If you're if you're listening to this, um, or if you're on the Mixcloud podcast, um, send us your questions because this is really fascinating stuff for me. Um, but tell us a little bit about your experience at Armageddon. What was that like? Wow. So not being a nerd or a geek and having absolutely no idea, and I'm not going to pronounce it right again for the 10th time this day, what Kamahamaha from Dragon Ball Z is, it really was an eye-opener. I mean, there's some fucking cool shit. There was some really cool stuff. And for a couple of hours, I was like, this is rubbing off on me. I could definitely spend a few hundred bucks on comics and anime toys and cute things for a house, yeah. um, but by the end of the weekend, it really was too much. Um, a lot. There's just so much effort and so much dedication that goes into this stuff, and I actually think it's kind of rad that there's so many. There's sixty five thousand people that turned up and fully went all out for this event, and these hobbies must just take up their spare time, and I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, for people to go home and think about cosplay and make cosplay outfits and go to the effort to be in character. You know, you see people getting interviewed. V had a stand there with an interview booth this year. And to see people in the V costume, V stand in their costume acting in character was kind of cool. Like they've done their research, they've made their costume, they've obviously practiced a bit of dialogue. Um, and they kick ass at it. Like they're dedicated for sure. Uh, personally, I just like, I don't know, I don't know what I would, I don't know what kind of program or sci-fi thing or anime thing I would have that much dedication to. Yeah, I mean... So, so it's it's fascinating. Um, yeah. Do you... Did you... Because you're from Auckland, eh? Yes, I am. Did you know of anybody who went to this that might fall into the category of someone who, like, does cosplay stuff? Um, I know one girl from my work that used to go yeah. and used to... I can't remember if she said she dressed up or not, but she's got a lot of cosplay play friends... But, I mean, the only thing I, that I knew before cosplay was that it was kind of similar to the people who dress up in um, armour and do archery with each other on Sunday morning at Cornwall Park in Auckland. Um, so it's a very new world and a very new space for me, and it was definitely very eye-opening. People are into all kinds of shit. Yeah, because it's kind of weird how, for the mainstream to see that, there tends to be, like, connotations of kinkiness and that sort of thing. Definitely. So when I was organizing the event and just sort of scoping everything out and having a look on the websites and stuff, there's actually like a warning sort of disclaimer like thing about sexual interaction and touching and photographing cosplay girls, which I thought was kind of interesting. Was it R18? No, it's not. It's a family event. Okay. I mean, and even some of the like sexual, all sexual stuff aside, some of the children that were there, um... Some of the children that were there had gone to heaps and heaps of effort to their for their costumes as well, like hair and makeup, painted faces. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Like dedi dedicated families, not just your average student or your average nerd in the thirties that has crawled out from under their pile of gaming computers for the weekend. It was it was really like a range of ages and different types of people. Who were the guests there? Um, I saw the Todd, so the Doctor from Scrubs. Um, I can't remember his name, he, but he made an appearance, did some dick jokes on stage. It was, was kind of funny. Um, the Maggie Roswell, who is the voice of quite a few women on the Simpsons, um, she made an appearance on the Sunday and obviously these guys are signing autographs on at the autograph booth and doing all that kind of thing all weekend as well. But autographs cost a... Yeah. So you buy your ticket and then you pay extra to get a photo with these people or an autograph. Were there many people lining up for autographs? I didn't actually go into the autograph stand because it was actually really hard to move around. Right, okay. On the busier days. Yeah. It was like shoulder to shoulder, sweaty, sticky. Yeah, it wasn't the most enjoyable environment. But again, these people are so dedicated, they don't really they, give they'd a fuck. they put up with it. Yeah, yeah, they'd put up with it for sure. Um, okay, I saw that the Todd was there. Yeah. I, the first thing that jumped mm -hmm. in my mind was like, oh, oh, it's a bit sad. Did you yeah. hear that at all? Like, uh, this guy was once a 
you know, well-known. I mean, he's still well-known, obviously, but now he's sort of like on this weird circuit of... Do you, does it, did that... Well, did, he, he... Was there ever that sort of, I don't know, feeling amongst... Or like when you were there, was it just like, this is just heaps of fun or something? Like, what, what was the, you know, what was the vibe like in that, in that sense? What, with the... And the Todd? And the Todd and, mm. you know, just a few other random people. Because they, they have, like, quite a few guests there and they're just like... Huh. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Todd to me just kind of seemed like a dumbed down version of Charlie Sheen or like Hancock Californication, you know, right. he's just, he makes a lot of dick jokes and he talks about all the women that he's had sex with and he's just trying to make a living for himself in LA. He's really no different to any other guy. He just hasn't had as much publicity because he hasn't done as much scandalous shit. Right. So it kind of got towards the end. I mean, he's great. I did have some laughs, yeah. but towards the end, it kind of just got a bit tedious and it kind of felt like you've just sort of heard this all before. Yeah. What's your point of difference? Yeah, yeah, totally. Put a difference in kind of one trick pony, right? Yeah, yeah. In a sad and, kind of way. And what's your, what's your ambition? Like, call your, call your standing up here, you know, cracking jokes about, I don't know, sex positions and stuff, <laughs> but like, what's next, you know? I, yeah. I kind of... And, I don't know, maybe that wasn't his aim of the game, but I think I would have used that space to PR myself a little bit and, and told people sort of what I was working on or what I had my eye on for when I got back to LA. I think that would have been a smarter approach. Whereas I kind of just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, that reminds me so much of that episode with Bart Simpson and he says, and he knocks over the thing and he goes, it wasn't me or something. <laughs> and then he goes, ah, oh, fuck, you know, people just, I mean, didn't say one line and people, I'm just getting bored of this and da, 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 da. And then he goes on like one of those like chat shows mm -hmm. <laughs> and then he tries to like, and he tries to do something different. And they're just like, just said the line, man. You know, like maybe that's what people want. You know, like this poor guy, he just can't, he can't escape the Todd. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, know, it's kind of weird. Chuck Hoover was there as well. He's the voice behind the Kamehameha thing and Dragon Ball Z, and so he hosted and um, and judged the Kamehameha contest, which was kind of freaky but a little bit interesting if you've never seen that kind of thing before. Yeah, how was that actually? That, it was fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> Four-year-olds entered as well. Yeah. And just they're roaring off the stage to a, a hall of, I don't know, maybe like close to a thousand people. Andrew, were you a fan? <laughs> of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I used to love it as a kid. <laughs> I know that stuff, eh? My friend was telling me yesterday how they how the Kamehameha, or however you say it, goes between... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just don't get it, and it goes for like three or four episodes. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they would have one where it, where it sort of builds up. Yeah. So would you suggest or would you recommend people go to, to um, Armageddon? Absolutely. It's such a well-run event. I mean, I don't know what you can... I mean, they either don't sell as many tickets or they increase the size of the venue, I guess, um, because it is kind of uncomfortable packed yeah especially 65, on a Saturday people. yeah 65,000 people over that weekend is mental yeah um but I mean everyone who's in it I guess is in it and is is, in, is prepared and knows what they're getting themselves into mm. um the organizer of the event Bill who I was in contact with a lot is awesome he's just the calmest man you would never ever think that he was in the thick of running an event with that many people and that much responsibility on his shoulders I guess because there's a lot of potential for shit to get out of hand in a space like that you've got a lot of technology there's a lot of expensive equipment and there's a lot of people it's hot they're excited they're going nuts um but I didn't see one sort of disturbance or one negative fight the, the, there were no fights they didn't seem the ambulance guys didn't seem to be doing much like it really like everybody is just so enthusiastic that everybody's there to have a good time there's no sort of bad vibes no about the shit. place yeah there's no shit everyone's really respectful um i mean we had a lot of expensive equipment on our stand and nothing we were preparing for um stuff to be stolen throughout the weekend but there was nothing we didn't there was not one thing that went missing which was awesome so two thumbs up what was yep. it there's this Simpsons reference. Four thumbs up <laughs> ten thumbs up <laughs> what the hell is that <laughs> ten thumbs up for armageddon um are there any more? Is there anything else you wanted to add to the the digital stuff before we before we before we head off for tonight? No, I don't think so. But yeah, if you have any questions, chat them through. Yeah, because I find it really fascinating because it shapes our world. Um, Andrew, did you have anything you wanted to add? Or have you just sort of like been 
coming in and out, but did you coming have any questions? <laughs> I want to try the visual visual reality glasses. Ah, the VR glasses. It's they are they're crazy. We had a roller coaster one, and one guy ripped the computer like out of the um out of the gaming machine because he was he couldn't handle what Whoa. he was seeing in his Oculus Rift. Are those things are those things going to be sort of mainstream soon or? I think so. I think they're creeping into the content space, and people people are starting to look at them as options, especially in the travel industry. Um, so it's just sort of like immersion. Um, so, for instance, if you're a travel agent and you're trying to sell like a destination package, then you could put a virtual reality thing. I could imagine it would be quite cool for cruise ships. So before you go on a cruise ship, someone edits together this um, virtual reality piece of content of yourself in this cruise ship so you go taken on a tour like a 3d tour so you go through the casino you go to the pool you go to the bar um you get you, yeah you just get walked through this thing and you get shown your room that you're into what about gaming is that coming out the, that's where the virtual reality glasses are going to be huge right yeah probably i'm because, not because i mean sure. imagine running around like shooting people in world war ii <laughs> oh, like, so you know, much fun. yeah yeah totally i don't know <laughs> But they've been talking about that for ages, and the three D the three D things kind of come and gone. I think a little bit, eh? Like from what Rachel said, they're just crazy awesome. The ones she tried on. Yeah, they make you feel a bit sick. But the three D stuff. Be, yeah, you have to be sitting down. I mean, I tried a roller coaster one, so you're literally. I'm not good on roller coasters at the best of times, but you're literally on the peak of this drop, and you're just standing with this thing on your face. You don't know who's around you, or who's looking at you, and you just all I could do was just freak and. <laughs> uh, ah, because, <laughs> yeah, you literally think you're going to be thrown off, like, the stool that you're sitting on or whatever. Sounds like heaps of fun. And probably the only place you figure that will go and see those things is at Armageddon, right? Because yeah, at some right. Point. right. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless you casually had one at home, which I know which I know a few dedicated people do. They, you know people who've got them at home? Yeah. Nerds. Yeah, complete <laughs> nerds. Damn. But, I mean, I mean, if you, had, if you had a range of games and stuff to get your hands on, then why not, you know? Yeah. It's just like playing... Game Boy or something for a night. On your face. Yeah. On your face. <laughs> I guess I like and I don't I didn't have it on for very long, but it could potentially start to feel a little claustrophobic and a little trapped. Yeah. Um, because you've got headphones on as well, so it's not only a visual thing, it's an audio yeah, piece as well. Yeah. It's fuzzy. I'd love to give that a go. Yeah, <laughs> sounds pretty cool. Hey, um, so we're done basically, but we oh my god, okay, I have this, a song. You have a song. I think yeah. this is can you like Tell us a little bit about the song while I yep, light it I absolutely up on can. the internet. So I don't know if anybody um, uses Pitchfork, but pitchfork.com is an awesome website that just basically keeps up to date with what's happening in the music world. Um, and I'm a massive fan of Grimes. And she has she's about to bring out a new album called Art Angels. Um, and she's designed the cover for it herself. Um, her first video for Flesh Without Blood. What's the name of the song? Flesh Without Blood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's written, directed, edited, and art directed this video clip. Yep, that one. Um, all by herself. Some people think it's a little weird, but I reckon she gets away with it because. Because it's Grimes. Yeah, because she's buzzy <laughs> and she's Grimes. Um, for the listeners at home, excuse the really poor quality. I didn't actually think about this in advance because we just kind of threw this together because I was disorganized again this week, but. <gasps> Um, I don't know. We'll put a link up or something like that. So this is Flesh Without Blood, Life in the Vivid Dream by Grimes. Yeah. And make sure you watch it because she's done an awesome job on the video clip. It looks interesting already. I'm not even one second into it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this Thanks, evening. Thanks, guys.